The time was the late 1990s, and cinema was ready for a revolution. And that revolution came in the form of a tall, dark action hero and a fantastical film about people living lives that aren't true. Uh, I'm, just, I'm trying to allude to The Matrix here, but we're talking about <laughs> 1997's Steve Wang-directed film, Drive. And uh, it's that by video! There's a movie that you never seen. Ninjas or a crazy death machine There'll be smiles There'll be tears You won't watch a movie for about Eight billion years It's time for death By video Time for death By video And now The show will begin Hey! Hey, I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham Singh. Welcome back to another episode of Merry Movie Mayhem. My voice is going as soon as we start recording. Um, okay, so guys, before we get into the film Drive, directed by Stephen Wang. I just love that name, Steve Wang. Um, <laughs> what are some of the, the interesting films that you watched since we last recorded? Phil? I rewatched The Fugitive, which holds up great. Cool. The classic Harrison Ford movie. <laughs> yes. Kit's also giving a big thumbs up. Did you watch it too recently? Uh, not too long ago, like uh, less than a year ago. But yeah, that's uh, got uh, good old, good old Tommy Lee Jones. Went on to make U.S. Marshals after that, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, young Joe Pantoliano contains the famous line, "I'm Im- innocent. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, I didn't kill my wife." <laughs> oh, that was the line. Eh. Yeah. Strange to me that it's uh, Harrison Ford's only film with a beard. Really, like, yeah, he looks good with that beard. He has a nice gray beard. Uh. It always reminds me of whenever uh, Will Ferrell was wearing a fake beard on Saturday Night Live for some reason. <laughs> yeah. So go on. Yeah, there are also lots of character actors in that movie. It's like, oh, that person's in it. And there's even like young Jane Lynch in uh, Nice. Fugitive. Yeah. It's always great when she shows up and stuff and you're like, oh, it's Jane Lynch. Yeah. Before she was quote unquote Jane Lynch. She, she's a minor but uh, crucial character. Like when uh, she's the one who reveals the uh, fudged samples. Ah, intrigue. Yeah, well, like a good uh, big far- anti big pharma chase thriller. Cool. So, what else have you seen? Uh, I had COVID the other week, so I mm-hmm. uh, I know which which scared the crap out of all of us because we all were like exposed to you for a long period. I, I was panicked too. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my god, I hope I didn't get anybody sick. But as far as I know, I did not get yeah. anybody sick. Luckily, we both escaped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was out cold for like a couple of days, but on the third day, I managed to muster up enough energy to uh, watch a five and a half hour movie that was in my Criterion queue. Nice. Called Happy Hour, directed by Ryosuke Hamaguchi, who is best now best known for Drive My Car. So he's 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 tightening up his his films by yes. going with a three hour Drive My Car and not a five hour movie. Yeah. How was the five hour movie? It was very good. It's yeah. it was very slow immersive but but very immersive and very engaging oh fantastic it's just it's just a solid uh novelistic character drama i i i haven't seen this film but i did feel that way about drive my car i i still need to watch drive my car i'm hoping it'll show up on the criterion channel soon oh i'm sure because i think it's part of i think it's part of, it's part of the collection yeah. yeah and then finally phil finally okay uh okay i have to narrow it down i finally watched i've fulfilled a uh, blind spot Watched uh, Bob Le Flambeur. 
which is which is French for Bob the Gambler, Uh, directed by Jean Pierre Melville. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's considered probably like the first movie of the French New Wave. It's from 1956. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. And it was also inspired um, that Nick Nolte movie from the late 90s, The Good Thief. Oh, I see. Yeah. Cool. Any Any other thoughts on it? No, it's just like a solid, beautifully made, uh, downbeat noir. Cool. Alrighty. Well, Kit, what are your films of the week? My my films of the week. Mm-hmm. My uh, we gotta like have a Siskel and Ebert kind of segment, right? Like where it's uh, my picks of the week. Let's see. First time watch. I finally got around to the Long Goodbye. Nice, the, big the, fan of that film. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really good. I didn't actually realize it was a it was a Philip Marlowe uh, joint. It was a, yeah. a Robert Chandler. That's uh, that's one of the uh, Chandler novels that Raymond Chandler. Raymond um, Chandler, thank you, thank you. I because I read a bunch of Raymond Chandler novels. I did Chandler recently novels. read the the Big Sleep, so yeah. I should know that. I actually read the Long Goodbye before I saw the movie. Ah, so did yeah. I. Mm-hmm. I have not read the Long Goodbye, and the also I guess because of the the update, like it's it's a modernized version. Uh, of that story, I'm assuming. Yeah, except um, Elliot Gould in the film acts like a 1940s detective, which is kind of funny. Yes, he lights about like 70 cigarettes mm-hmm. in this film. He's just constantly like, he'll walk into the grocery store and he's got those strike anywhere matches. It makes me want to take up smoking just so I can do this. <laughs> uh, just walk into the grocery store at 3 a.m., light up the match, light the cigarette, kind of mm-hmm. walk around. It's, it's, a, it's a cool vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has some of the best cat acting on screen ever. That yeah. that cat is fantastic, and, my, and I love that he's you know he's he tries to fool it by getting the uh, the different cat he food. Puts the, yeah, the, the, the cat food <laughs> in a different can to try and confuse it. Um, I also love the fact that in that movie the um, the theme song for the Long Goodbye like it's played in like various different uh, like styles of music. It even plays as a Muzak version at the grocery store. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's got a it's got a pretty good cast. Not a lot of uh, big mm-hmm. names, but Arnold Schwarzenegger pops up. Yeah, uh, towards the end, and, and Sterling Hayden. Sterling of Hayden is like basically the Ernest Hemingway, yeah, uh, style author. Uh, oddly enough, I haven't seen a lot of Rod Robert Altman. I was like going over his uh, his canon. Like I've I think I've seen most of Mash. Um, I've I've seen um, Popeye. I, no, I have not seen Popeye. I saw Prairie Home Companion. <laughs> his last film. His yeah. last film. I also saw Prede Porte when I was mm-hmm. much too young to be watching yeah. this. My mom just rented it and wanted to watch it, and I liked movies. Yeah. And then there's a, a lot more nudity the... than she was expecting. Yeah. I'm guessing you were just the, also a big fan of Here Comes the Hot Stepper, um, which was the song from the movie. I See, it's been... I was a kid when I, I watched that. I that song very well. Yeah. <laughs> Recently covered by Dr. The Dog. Hot Stepper. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, so watched that. Uh, what else did I watch? Oh, I watched the 1991, I guess, pseudo folk horror clear cut. Oh, yeah. Uh, directed by uh, a Polish man whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce. <laughs> directed by a Polish man <laughs> from Poland. Uh, but starring um, Graham Greene. Yep. Canada's own Graham Greene. Canada's own Graham Greene. And I've never seen him better than I've seen. Like, I always enjoy Graham Greene's screen presence. Mm-hmm. Like, I like seeing him in movies. Yep, the Red Green Show. Yeah, he was good in that. <laughs> but even like as I was uh, mentioning to you the other day, like he pops up in Transamerica randomly mm-hmm. enough, and it's like, oh, it's Graham Greene. Yeah. He's but, great in Die Hard Three. Yes, he is. But uh, in this one, he's so like he's so menacing, but also so good. Mm-hmm. Like it's fantastic. It what a what a triumph uh, of a performance from Graham Greene there. I really enjoyed it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, also, everything his character does is correct. Um, and then, uh, oh, I got around to watching uh, Prey, the uh, the new Predator sequel. Uh, went to yeah. check that out. That I'm gonna was watch that this week. That was pretty fun. I I really did enjoy that one. Cool. Uh, good performance from the young star Amber Mid Thunder, mm-hmm. who's got a cool name. Um, and just yeah, the whole cast is good. Uh, there's uh, ample killing of French Canadian um, fur traders. Good. Screw you, Quebec. You need you <laughs> by both it. sides, both the predator and the uh, the indigenous people uh, have their crack at. Uh, the predator knows what's up. <laughs> He's not down with Renny Levesque. Yeah. <laughs> so so that was pretty much fun. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's about it. I won't get in. I watched Tetsuo the Iron Man last week. But <laughs> I, won't, I won't get into that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> that movie. Ooh. Is that a Shutter movie? Yeah, it was a Shutter movie. I'm mm-hmm. trying to, uh, and it was like, oh, it's only 67 minutes long. I think I'll check it out. Yeah. I think it checked you out. (laughs) Cool. All right. uh, So moving on to my films. So uh, I watched 2021's Hellbender, which is, it's interesting. It's from, so the people behind this film, they are actually like a family of three who make movies together. And like, they're like a young family too. Like the the daughter is like a teenager. Um, And it's, it's really, it's enjoyable. It's great. It's on Shudder. It stars Zelda Adams as Izzy. Uh, Toby Par- Poser as mother, who is her mother in real life. Uh, Lulu Al- Adams as Amber, who is like her cousin. John Adams as uncle, who I think is like her father. Um, I mean, in real life, it's hard to keep it all straight. But it's basically the story of this young girl or a teenager girl uh, living with her mother, who is and she's homeschooled and she's like living out in the deep woods, uh, cut off from everyone, and she doesn't see anyone because she apparently has a immune deficiency and if she contacts anyone outside of her family or her with her her family dna she could die and it turns out that's not true she's actually being kept apart from people because she is from a long line of witches and things get nuts um things get kind of psychedelic it's really it's a cool movie i really dig it um what was that one called again hellbender hellbender from 2021 haven't heard of that one yeah um let's see what else did i watch I'll talk about one... Uh, let's get into it. Um, so I watched Vice Academy 2, Part 2. This is one of your picks of the week? <laughs> yeah, why not? No, it's just Graham's like, dog of the week. Yeah, oh, I could have talked about Fighting Mad. Um, but yeah, Vice Mad, like, I don't understand why. Like, I watched the original Vice Academy, like, ages ago and didn't like it. And then I read somewhere online, that, like, oh, Vice Academy Part 2 is way better. And I'm like, that does happen. It did not happen. Um, and, like, I'm a big fan of Linnea Quigley. Like, she normally is, like, a great on-screen presence. She is wasted in this movie. It's very odd for to have such a sexless movie that features Linnea Quigley and Ginger at Lynn Allen as, like, the co-leads, especially from the late 80s, early 90s, especially with a name like Vice Academy. So, so this is some some real Roger Ebert disappointment yeah. in this movie. Well, it's just, like, it's just not fun. It's just, like, it's a slog for 90 minutes. And I was wondering why, like, it's directed by this guy, Rick Sloan, and I'm like, why is there six of these movies stretching all the way from 1987 up until 1988? And then I realized, like, oh, they were being sold, like, mostly to the, um, to the, whatchamacallit, to the USA Network, because at the time, the USA Network would show uh, B-movies. That was Vice Academy 2. Um, uh, next one, or the last one I'll talk about is a 1976 film directed by Jonathan uh, Demi, or Demi, depending on uh, your pronunciation, 
from uh, produced by Roger Corman. It's one of it was one of part of his deal with 20th Century Fox, which I guess is now just known as 20th Century Studios. So technically, this is now a Disney film. Bizarrely, it's called Fighting Mad, and it stars Peter Fonda, Scott Glenn, and Lynn Lowry. Uh, Lynn Lowry, if you're a fan of The Crazies or um, what? Oh, um, Shivers. She was in that. It's a good sounding cast. Yeah, solid cast. Uh, and basically, it's the story of like a, a guy who uh, his wife leaves him, so him and his young son move back to his father's horse ranch where he grew up. And uh, it turns out that all the there's a developer in the area that wants to like strip mine the land for coal, and he's buying up all the mountain ranges and all the land around him. And the ones that he can't buy out, he's forcing out with intimidation tactics and uh, and doing everything he can to like you know they like set fire to his barn. They like they kill his brother and his brother's wife um but peter fonda will stand no more for it and he fights back and what which is why it's called fighting mad it's a really tight movie it's 88 minutes which was the roger corman sweet spot um and it shows just the promise of jonathan to me like it's um it's lit really well which i more and more i appreciate good lighting in films it doesn't look like the typical west coast exploitation um tv lighting that uh, happened with a lot of 1970s films because they would hire tv crews on their like summer break to work on a feature film and just have everything very flat and very bright like this had shadow and depth it was good and that was fighting mad so yeah so without further ado we're gonna watch drive and we'll be back in a moment to talk about it if you're looking for more horror outside of the mainstream look no further than unsung horrors a podcast about underseen horror movies i'm lance and i'm erica Every other week, we'll cover a horror movie with fewer than 1,000 views on Letterboxd. We'll even give you double feature recommendations to pair with the movies we discuss. From gothic to shot on video, from slashers to comedies, from giallo to j-horror, we'll cover all the subgenres. So join us as we unearth these hidden gems of horror. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Unsung Horrors, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And that was Drive. Wasn't that a wonderful film? Yes. That was something. Yeah, I think we can all agree it was very entertaining and well worth the time and the effort. Um, So we should start off by saying that this film was directed by Steve Wang, who uh, before this film was best known for directing the two Guyver movies, Guyver in 1991 and Guyver Dark Hero in 1992. He also directed, or sorry, in 94. He also in 1992 directed something called Kung Fu Rascals, and then Drive was, like, his biggest film. It had a $3.2 million budget, even though, like, that's kind of shocking for how big this film is in scope. Like, there's so many explosions, so many set pieces, including the Apollo 14 diner sequence at the end. There's so much neon. That I you think that's, that's, like, at least $3 million worth of neon. Yeah, that's a purposely built set. Like, I have no idea how he could afford to do it, but they stretched it. Like, we were even watching a bit of the behind the scenes on the on the fantastic Blu-ray from, I think, MVD put it out, um, where they're discussing... How, like, there were two stunt teams. One would, like, do the shoot, like, train all day. And then the other ones, they'd work out the plan the night before. And so, like, Steve Wang only slept, like, I think 30 minutes a day on this movie, which is insane. Yeah, they said, like, 22 hours. And yeah. Shows. And then, sadly, uh, the producers took the film away and recut it and cut it down considerably and changed the music and the tone, which is quite the bummer. Like, they cut out all the backstory about uh, Toby, Mark Dacascos' character, having a, a girlfriend that died. Um, As we find out, yeah. yeah. Later on. Um, and then after this, Steve Wang, he directed an episode of Power Rangers The Lost Galaxy, I a TV that. series. 
apparently the stunt, the stunt team was the Alpha Stunt Team, uh, made up primarily of Japanese stunt performers who were inspired by the Hong Kong films of Jackie Chan and like Jet Li of the 80s and 90s. Uh, they went to North America, and they basically were working on um, Power Rangers for quite a while. And then in 2000, Steve Wang directed the film Sirens of the Deep, and then finally he directed 16 episodes of the television series Kamen Rider Dragon Knight in the year 2000, from the year 2008 to 2010. And that's it for his directorial credits, unfortunately. Um, his last, his most recent credit was the 2012 documentary uh, Best Wishes, or sorry, Beast Wishes, uh, which he served as a producer, an associate producer on. Great title. Yeah. So, guys, so uh, where do we begin with Drive? We begin at a loading dock in San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco Bay. Yes. Which actually was shot in Los Angeles. Angeles, um, yeah, wow. And uh, it was actually shot like a month after principal photography wrapped because they'd run out of time during the actual shoot. Oh, wow. They only had like six and a half weeks to shoot the whole movie, which for an action film is incredibly short. Like it's not the, the regular 12-week schedule. So, yeah. 22 hours a day. Exactly. Nonstop. So we start on that boat where we see Mark Dacascus playing Toby Wong, sneaking himself across, wearing a fantastically... Now on trend, one piece jump black jumpsuit with a uh, with a punch hole belt. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a goth mechanic look. Yeah, goth mechanic ninja or martial artist. And he also has something which initially looks like a little cell phone that he takes out, but it's it's. I guess this is set in maybe the future. Yeah, so they they reference nineteen. They shot the film in nineteen ninety five, and they reference the Chinese handover of Hong Kong in nineteen ninety seven. However. Um, I I don't know when they're set like maybe like in the early early two thousands and I gotta say they kind of no title card no which I, I like that is kind of vague because then if yeah. you put a date on it, it it gets like confusing but the thing is the actual um, little what I guess phone cell phone or um, it's like like a mini disc video play yeah but the thing, thing is the actual screen was how modern smartphones look it is the rectangle yeah which is very prescient because at the time everything was still square. Even the the video phones. Yeah, even the, the protective case looks like it looks like, like a modern smartphone, smartphone case. case. I know yeah. it's it's it. Uh, Steve Wang predicting the future accurately, actually. Apple were just uh, mm-hmm. studying Drive. And- Steve Jobs <laughs> dropped whatever he was doing and was like, "I gotta see this movie." Even though in the original edit that was released in North America, that scene was not included. We actually did not see. So you wouldn't have that uh, all that redundant exposition. It's not redundant. It gives his character mo- motivation. Okay, okay. But but Steve Jobs would have had access to the director's cut. I'm sure he would have, yeah. Back when Apple computers was at its worst He, he was the test audience. Yeah. He was like scribbling notes. He's like, I need to get a black <laughs> turtleneck. So this is uh, this is Toby Wong. Yeah. And it's also here where we meet uh, what Wikipedia describes as the hillbilly assassin, Vic Madison. Yeah. Who you said could have been played by Kid Rock. If there was a modern remake, it'd be Kid Rock. Although, I mean, he looked pretty much the same back then, too. Yeah, so yeah. So you could have hired him then. But yeah. I think this uh, Vic Madison has a bit more charisma than maybe Kid Rock could bring to it. Yeah, for this sure. This is like a cigarillo chomping, uh, goateed... Uh, Dirtbag cowboy look, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And also racist, as we find. Yes. Yeah. Frequently. Like Kid Rock. Yeah. <laughs> Frequently, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because this film, it really wasn't until like the film was almost over that I'm like, hey, the leads of this film are both people of color. Like, normally in this situation, there'd be a white dude to balance it out or something. And we should also point out this is like a few years before yeah, Rush Hour. Yeah, this is Hour. proto-Rush Hour. Yeah. 
it's noon hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is where we first get some, there's a really great action sequence to open the film. Mark Dacascus, uh, his cover, or his hiding is blown as he's trying to sneak off the boat. He has a big old fist fight with, um, uh, with uh, the dirty cowboy and a bunch of the goons that are on the ship. One of the goons who has a scarred up face, but yeah. we'll never find out why. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I think, Kit, you were expecting that he was going to become like one of the main antagonists. And then that's just his only scene. Well, I do, I do like that. That like they just put mm-hmm. some scars on a guy just to kind of give him a backstory without saying yeah. anything. Well, the camera's loving this guy, so it makes you think that he is one of the main antagonists. Yeah. Well, I think it's also like they gave him a scar to disguise him because he's got multiple scars his entire face. Yeah, because the the stunt team was like made up of like four or five guys, and they reused them in almost every scene. So they were constantly like. Uh, re- like this is the only time where their faces are fully exposed. So like they were constantly like either putting them in ski masks or or in motocross helmets or dyeing their hair or having them wear wigs. It's uh, they got real creative and it was pretty seamless for the most part. Unless you were like looking for it, you wouldn't have noticed. Yeah, no, you wouldn't. But, yeah, yeah, we don't. Lots of white shots. Mm-hmm. We we don't see the scarred up guy again. I would yeah. like to think that his like backstory is. He was just fixing his lawnmower or something. And, and it went off? And it went off. Ah! Oh, no. Well, it'll <laughs> make me, not a cool story It'll make me look more badass at work is probably what he was thinking. And so from there we go to a bar where we're introduced to, um, uh, I want to say Malik? Malik? Malik. Yeah. Malik's uh, played by Kareem Hadash. The, 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 Kareem Hardison. Hardison. That, I keep wanting to say Hardison. No, 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 not Hadash. Yeah. It's Who, as we know, is from Vampire in Brooklyn. Yes, the classic vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah, and Death by Temptation. Um, And uh, what else? Oh, you know who he is? Of course, we're always like, why do we recognize this guy? Uh, A different world. I never watched A Different World, man. Oh, my God. Is is... is that where he's from? Yes, that was his, like, his... Well, that's probably where he's best known from. So he was also in the film Enemy Territory, but on A Different World he played. He was Dwayne Wayne on A Different World. Okay, if you say so. Really? You never watched that as a kid? I, I never did. Phil, did you watch? No, I didn't. I, I mean, really? I, watched, I watched a lot of TGIF stuff, but not A Different World. Yeah, well, he was the guy. He famously had the flip-up sunglasses that, he, yeah. that were always up. Dwayne Wayne. Oh, my God. Cool. He was, he was the main character after Lisa Bonet left. Well, in this one, he plays uh, Malik Brody, who yeah. is described here as a down-on-his-luck gregarious songwriter. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize songwriting was his profession. Guys, why don't you just hold the microphone while you're talking? You both, you both were holding the microphone for each other, which is very polite. But you're both holding it like three inches away from your face. Um, yeah. So then we quickly meet him in a bar, drowning his sorrows as he's writing a song, and the bartender tells him to quit writing a song. Uh, and Mark Dacascus walks in to get a drink and kind of collect his wits. And this is at like seven a.m. You were saying yeah. it's like yeah, one yeah. of these twenty-four uh, hour bars. Yeah, man. It's like I miss it every time I see, like, you know, in the French Connection where Gene Hackman wakes up in a bar after drinking there all night and it's still going and he's just sitting at the front. He's like, oh, I guess I should go home and freshen up. Um, you just wish you could live that kind of degradation when one I, time. Maybe like 10 years ago or something when I was <laughs> y- a lot younger before I quit drinking. What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. That's that's Phil filling us in. Um, uh, but anyways, he walks in and, like, as soon as he walks in, the bad guys show up again. There's a huge, like, another big fight sequence, and then the police show up, and then from there, um, Tony, Toby takes, uh, takes Ma- Malik. Is it Malik or Malik? Malik. Malik. Takes Malik. I don't know why I keep screwing that up, and well, I've seen this movie a bunch. Yeah, there was, uh, so there's, uh, they bring in uh, the fighters, and uh, our boy Toby fights them off, but of course Vic Madison 
He does the uh, oh yeah the 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 bad guy thing of just staying out of the fray long enough to then take a hostage and gain the upper hand right at the end. Exactly. Um, and yeah, that there's a tense scene where he's like, "I'll shoot this guy in the face." And uh, Toby does yeah. not lower the gun. No. He's daring him to shoot him in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's called his bluff, I guess. But yeah. But then the police show up, and then Toby takes um, Malik hostage. Well, he, uh, Vic pulls a trick where he throws the hostage at uh, Toby, uh, yeah. and then pretends like he's getting uh, assaulted. He's like, "Oh, I'm so scared. Uh, please yeah, help me." I the was cops just, turn yeah. their guns, and uh, Toby, I guess, smartly yeah. goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gets him out. Jumps into their, jumps into Malik's car, and then they go for a drive, and it's like, hey, right. that's the title of the movie. Yeah, um, I was, I always thought like the drive means like the implant in, uh, in Toby's like heart, a hard drive, yeah, yeah, like a heart drive, heart drive, yes, yes, <laughs> Mul- many layered meanings. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it's a, it's a double entendre here. Yeah, oh, I'd love to do a double feature of drive and drive, and just be like, yes. what about movie showing? We're showing drive and. Drive. drive. <laughs> which which drive is it? The one the drive. Which, which one would you show first? This would be the second the second movie. It would be a toss up. Um yeah, maybe this would be the second one because it's a bit more of a fun movie than although I do find Some, the other drive fun. Somebody uh, on the Eyesore Cinema page, because they had screened it at Eyesore, it was like the Drake Hotline Bling meme. It's like the Drake shoving out like the Drive two thousand eleven and then Drive nineteen ninety seven. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or we could do Drive versus Drive, Toby versus Driver. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be an interesting film. Drive versus it's Drive. It's what matters inside. Yeah, literally in this case. Yes. Um, in both movies, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So basically, from there, Toby tries to fill, like tries to fill in Malik that like, hey, like there's all this, you know, uh, you got to take me to Los Angeles, which is like a six hour drive away from San Francisco, I believe. And Malik is like, absolutely not. And then Toby points a gun at him and is like, absolutely yes. So as they're driving along, there's a highway checkpoint, and Malik theorizes like, oh, maybe it's just a random like DUI like spot check. And uh, he's I will like, po- no. I'll point mm-hmm. out that Malik goes to light a cigarette. Oh yeah. Uh, he first pulls out some sun-made raisin box, and then he's like, no, I want nah. cigarettes. Um, and but Toby won't let him smoke in his own car. Yeah. Just, come on, man. Yeah. You know what? You're holding the guy hostage. Let him have a cigarette. Nah. Dang. Nah. Cigarette smoking is bad for you, man. It causes cancer. Yeah. Well, as as uh, Malik points out, so does gunfire. Well, not That's, cancer, yeah. but it can but, be Yeah, it, it is dangerous. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. So they get pulled over by these cops, and right away they know that these are the guys because they were using this like high tech tracking device on them, uh, which we learn later on is connected to Toby's um, the implant. Yes, there's an implant, and we actually did see a little bit of uh, indication that there's something special about Toby because uh, they're trying to shoot at him. On the initial uh, boat. And he keeps dancing away. He keeps dancing away. His, his feet are faster than bullets. And you're like, well, how does that happen? Because mm-hmm. the whole time it's like, don't shoot him, shoot his feet. Because we don't want to ruin the merchandise. Um, and so these cops, who are real cops, but they're real dirty, take them to like a construction, like a quarry, uh, where the bad guys are going to show up. And this is where we get that great scene where the cop, um, what is it? Uh, the cop throws a punch at Toby after Toby calls him a dirty cop. And like Toby just doesn't even flinch. And just looks at the cop, and the cop's like, "Oh no!" And I think, <laughs> and uh, and Malik says something to the cop, but it's like, "Yeah, he's like the real five fingers of death here." 
And so the cop just kind of like slinks away after they've. He says, "Aren't they all?" <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, "What does that mean?" And they, but they've attached. They've now handcuffed, or they've used this like device to attach to like handcuff Malik to Toby, so they are like one person. It's like a futuristic handcuff with yeah. cable wire. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get. So at this point, um, the cowboy man shows up, and this is where he like calls Malik Bob Marley for the first time with that uh, fantastic line, "Hey, Bob Marley." Quit your wailing. And we all laughed at that very it's, dumb joke. He doesn't even look like Bob. No, not at all. He's just African American <laughs> yeah, with dreads. With dreads, yeah. Yeah. And throughout the rest of the movie, they keep the bad guys all refer to him as Bob Marley. Yeah, like a code name, Bob Marley. But we got Bob Marley down in the basement. It's like, why do you keep calling him Bob Marley? He has a name. Um and another great fantastic fight scene breaks out here. A lot of creativity of, like, how do we prevent these two guys from getting shot? Also, because they're handcuffed together, there's, like, a lot of play with that, where it's, like, you know, um, Toby's throwing Mark into guys or, like, using Mark as, like, a springboard to kick someone in the face. Yeah, it kind of becomes, like, a cartoon a little bit, like Daffy yeah. Duck chained to Porky Pig for an mm-hmm. adventure. Which is fantastic. And, uh... Toby keeps using Malik's head and, you know, Malik keeps bumping his head. And he keeps Slamming his head and he goes, yeah, it's like, stop doing that. Uh, eventually they do get away from the bad guys uh, and they go back to the car, which we should point out, like, got damaged, like, right away. And I'm not sure if that was in- intended in the script or if, like, something happened to the car. Like, it, it was told, like, this was a low-budget film and this was probably the only car they had. And it was a Dodge, I think a Dodge Challenger? Dodge yeah. Challenger, yep. Yeah, although it was an automatic Dodge Challenger, which was interesting. I noticed that off the top. A lot of those muscle cars were only standard at the time. So it might have been a post-conversion in the 1980s. They claim it's a 73 later on in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which Brittany Murphy guesses exactly. Yes. And her very bizarre character of Deliverance, which we'll get to oh, yes. shortly. <laughs> um, so from there, now they're like, okay, well, get me, like, basically Mark Tukaska says, like, cut this thing off of me. And... Uh, so they go back to Malik's old house. Well, first, uh, Toby does offer him. He's like, listen, you got to drive me to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And Malik says no. Uh, and he's like, well, I got to... Um, he explains the whole thing. I've got this device uh, yeah. near my heart, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to sell it for mm-hmm. $5 million. And I'll give you half. Yeah. And Malik, first, he's like, no, no. What we're going to do is we're going to go back to my house. Yeah. We're going to cut it off. And then he's like, what? What? half yeah but it's still too it's like too much of a risk and we find out that malik has a young daughter and a he's separated from his wife and there's a new guy who's moved into his house so they go to malik's old house to to use like a hacksaw to cut off the thing that's like binding them together and we see a photo like a kmart style like family portrait of like malik's wife his daughter and some other guy who he keeps calling a cheeseburger as an insult. He does call him a cheeseburger, which he's I don't even understand. And even his wife is like, he might be a cheeseburger, but at least he's a grown up. And it's just cheeseburgers like, are delicious. I know they're awesome, but I mean, I guess as an insult, it's not. It's it's at least unique. We'll put it that way. Um, so they're sawing through the the handcuffs or whatever when Malik's wife shows up, and Malik kind of gives a half-hearted explanation of like. Yeah, this guy took me hostage and blah blah blah, and now like we're cutting him loose and that's it. And she and like this is where he like hammers and like he's a cheeseburger. What are you doing with that cheeseburger? And uh, Toby is we should say like despite his like uh, amazing fighting acumen, he has a sensitive side where he can like tell that she just wants him back. He becomes so invested in this relationship, he won't even shut up about it for the rest of the movie. Yeah, he keeps telling him she he sings still a loves whole song you. about it later yeah. on. I know that he improvs apparently. Um, so once they're separated, uh, Malik is like, "Hey, I'm going to drive you to the bus station, and that's it." 
Malik drives him to the bus station, drops him off, and to- Tony Toby still offers him like, "Hey, come along." He's like, "No, no, no." And then as he's leaving, he says, "She still loves you," which annoys Malik. And so as um, Toby's walking into the bus station, Malik sees that oh, there are all these bad guys showing up, and he's like, "I'm just gonna walk away. Just gonna walk away. Just gonna walk away. Not worry about it." And we see him drive off. And then inside the bus station. Toby is like, there's a woman standing in front of Toby in line for tickets, and she's got like a compact makeup mirror out, and he sees in the compact makeup mirror the bad guy showing up behind him. So at this point, he runs away, runs through, gets out the front door, and he's like, where is he going to go? Malik pulls up in the car, and it's like, get in, man, let's drive. That's the title of the movie again. And um, Now it's a road movie. Yep. So now it's Malik and Toby on the road. They're listening to some totally not era like uh, appropriate like some late hip-hop. 80s hip-hop yeah. yeah and they're they're man they're singing along they're broing they're out really like it they're they re- bonding yeah. yeah exactly i think they're their all heads are swaying left and right yeah they're enjoying their time in unison they're giving each other knowing little mm-hmm. nods during the song it's like man these guys have been friends for years yeah and this is when we find out that vic uh the cat the dirty cowboy he knows tracy walter who we're all fans of from repo man of course and batman the movie 1989 and numerous Jonathan Demi films. That's true. And the Yellow Pages commercials. Yes. I let my fingers do the walking. Um, we find that they're working together, and they're working out of a... Uh, a, a camper. Yeah. Well, it's it's more than that. It's like a full-on mobile home. Yeah, it's like a mobile home or like tour bus. Yeah. So they're like watching. And this is where we first get introduced to Walter the Einstein frog. <laughs> yes. I love that frog. Yeah. Which just makes it just like this... And Tracy dumb... Walter, he's eating with his mouth open. Yeah, and he's like, ah, ha, ha, this is so funny. And even later on, Brittany Murphy's character is watching Walter the Einstein Frog, yep. which is just like, I love that they just put that little touch of like, we're going to create a whole little show. And apparently the frog like um, gives his opinion on like surgery and stuff. Yes. Which is what he does in the first thing. But like no one like it's his it's ribbits weird. get decoded as uh... as like instructions on how to like yeah. diagnose like dangerous surgical problems. So anyways, we've successfully removed the cancer. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Walter the Einstein Frog. Um, just a great, great... It's like proto-Panos uh, Cosmata. I was going to say Cheddar Goblin. Cheddar yeah, Goblin, Cheddar or Goblin. Uh, Jordan Peele might have been watching uh, Drive. Uh, oh, yeah. Thinking of uh, Gordy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there'd be any Walter-related massacres. No. Just no. a frog going ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. Um, so from there, uh, the, now we're driving along with Toby and Malik, and the car has some car problems. Well, uh, at first, like uh, uh, Toby's asleep, and Malik just shakes him awake, and he's he like, keeps... "Wake up, man! Do you guys like all know in China? Do you guys all know kung fu?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, it's not like a fight constantly, but I guess some all of us kind of have some martial arts training. But you know, who knows?" And he's like, "Oh, okay." Then he goes to sleep, and he's like, "Hey, so like, what you doing this for, or something?" And this is where we learn the story of like how his um his uh, uh the backstory of Toby's girlfriend um oh no wait that's oh, later yeah, on that's later on sorry that. sorry sorry um but anyways there's a the Keeps car that close to the chest yeah so there's an issue with the car and they have to pull over so they pull into a um like a motor inn or a, like a motel basically where there's also a garage attached to it. And this is where we meet Brittany Murphy's character. This is also where we learn that, like... So the, the most, like, terminally horny, insane person. Just, like, on ecstasy and MDMA all at the same time. <laughs> and she's so twitchy as well. And she's swinging for the fences in this movie. Like, God love her for giving this, like, performance of, like, out of nowhere. She's in the movie for, like, 20 minutes and then she leaves. But she, it's a memorable 20 minutes because she is constantly trying to trip up Malik into, like, 
getting it on with her. And we don't know, is she in high school? Is she in, like, well, college? Well, she explains that her parents left her the motel, and she for, runs For, like, the now. week or something. Not not left her, but, like, left, like, they're out of town for, like, yeah, a week. Yeah. They're coming back in three days. And she just, she wants mm-hmm. to have the... A the, wild weekend. A wild weekend. And, um, what does she call Malik? She calls him, like... Chocolate? Well, it's, uh, something... Chocolate Boy Wonder, I believe. Chocolate oh. Boy Wonder. Come on, Chocolate Boy Wonder. She wants to give him the room for free as long as uh, she gets, uh, you know... Entertainment, that's her... That's what she said. Yeah, and this is what... Her, to- yeah, her character also- name is Deliverance Bodine, and she does mention the Deliverance special at this yeah, point, which, which we were like, like the movie? Yeah, but then we realized, <laughs> oh, that's actually her name. It's the Deliverance special. So it's a free three-day stay, but she has to have fun. And I also like how she explains, like, yeah, 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 like, I got it for my boyfriend. And then she stops Malik and whispers, ex-boyfriend. <laughs> and his response is, exciting. <laughs> Just... Yeah, it's great stuff. Uh, so at this point, we learn Toby needs to crash, like because the um, the implant that he has, the bio engine as it's called, uh, works his adrenaline so hard that he actually needs to crash and sleep. And get, he goes into like a total sleep where he's like out and cannot be w- woken up. So he goes up to the room to sleep. Malik goes into the garage to fix the car. He's working on the car. Deliverance shows up, and she just starts badgering him about all this car stuff. And like he's a little kind of like a, a little charmed by it. Like oh, she knows all this stuff about cars. He's working on it. Um. And then uh, her dad also works on yeah. classic cars. She shows him this uh, His vintage like vintage. Ford from like 1930 something. Yeah, just like this real vintage yellow hot rodder. Yeah, um, she guesses the exact year of the of his vehicle because she knows cars. And then uh, after that, he's like, you know what? Go wake up because uh, she like wants some entertainment. So he's like, oh, go wake up Toby, and then we'll we'll party or something. So she goes to wake up Toby, but he's like out cold, and she starts watching Walter the Einstein Frog. She cannot wake him up. No. she jumps on him. She she's, water. she's throwing water on him. Nothing can wake this man up. Yeah, except well, the bad guys show up. <laughs> the a- bad guys show up, and they uh, they find all the swipe cards to all the motel rooms. Yeah, which was futuristic at the time in 1995 too. Like these swipe cards are like hardcore, like you know, like you're swiping like a key card at the Pentagon or something. Yeah. Um, we should also point out that Vic takes his time to just trash the lobby of the, of the motel oh, yeah. for no reason. Like he just, there's like a, a, the, the door where all the keys are. He could just, just open up and said he punches he it. And, he goes, to, and then he says, who says violence isn't the answer? Dude, you could have just opened the door. It wasn't locked. He destroys their fax machine for no reason. Those things are expensive. Yeah. I know. Well, we should point out that Vic also, there's a fantastic quote from Vic, um, when talking to Tracy Walter about about Toby, because everyone's like, "Man, Toby's amazing, isn't he?" And Vic says, "He's so good he could eat flour and shit out cupcakes." He does say that, yes. which we all were like, "Ha ha ha!" That's so clever. <laughs> Funny writing on the script, which was uh, written by Scott Phillips. And let's talk about Scott Phillips. Let's look into Scott Phillips's oeuvre. He has currently fifteen writing credits. So Drive was his first feature film and his first writing credit. Uh, credit. And then he wrote uh, 1999's The Boy with the X-Ray Eyes. He wrote uh, the direct-to-video Horror Vision. He wrote uh, the direct-to-video Crips with a Z at the end. He wrote uh, the video short Science Bastard in 2002. Uh, Raving Maniacs. Uh, he wrote some additional stuff for that. The Stink of Flesh. Wedding Slashers, which was a direct-to-video um, oh, catching in on Wedding Crashers. Wedding yeah, crashers. Yeah, but like a few years late in uh, 2006. Um, he wrote the 2007 movie Broke Sky. He wrote the 2007 film Gimme Skelter, 
which is a horror film about the possible son of Charles Manson who chooses Banyan Cross... Oh, oh, chooses Banyan Cross, New Mexico, that's an actual town, as the town that is going to die to get Daddy's attention. Um, And then he also wrote uh, five episodes of the Kamen Rider Dragon Knight TV series, which Steve Wang directed all those episodes. He wrote the 2010 film Crowbar. He wrote Dead Time Tales 2018, but he was uncredited. He wrote... Codename Dynastud in 2018. Jesus Christ. Gonna look up that. Uh, let's see what the... In the year 2024, homosexuality has been outlawed by an extreme right-wing government. Only one extraordinary man can stop this wave of terror and repression. A superhero for our troubled times. All right, then. Yeah. That seems interesting. And then in 2020, he wrote uh, one episode of the TV series Spooky Stories, which is They Don't Drive Cars. So that's on Scott Phillips. I've heard of none of those credits. Neither have I. He has four directing credits. Oh, they're all films I mentioned. Um, Crowbar, Gimme Skelter, The Stink of Flesh, Science Bastard. Um, He also acted in uh, Necroville, Collecting Rooftops, and Red Dawn, the original 1984 movie, as an uncredited soldier. Russian soldier, that is. So that's that's Scott Phillips. But yeah, at at this point, uh, all the the SWAT team, led by Vic Madison and... uh, and tr- uh, Tracy, Tracy Walter, Walter show, up. show up, and they're all in balaclavas for some reason, which because it's the same which, stunt guys over and over exactly. again. Exactly, like yeah. I didn't understand like why are they worried about uh, cameras? This doesn't make any sense. But then, yeah, that makes sense when they're just trying to hide the fact that it's the same stunt guys. Yeah, it's like I'm a big fan of the show Barry uh, with Bill Hader, and there are certain scenes where it's like, why did he wear a ski mask in this scene? It's like because the stunt man was going to do all the stunts, and then in another scene he wears a uh, motorcycle helmet for like most of it, and I'm like, oh, it's because he doesn't know how to ra- actually ride a motorcycle. Oh, that's a good, that's a good episode. Yeah, which one, the ski mask one? No, the motorcycle. Yeah, when he's, uh, riding around on the motorcycle. Yeah, trying to get away from the motocross gang. Yeah, yeah, that's a good episode. Are you caught up on the season? The current season? I, I've finished it. Yeah, it's good. Nice. Yeah, interested to see where it goes. Um. So back to this film. So the stunt, the um, the bad guys show up, and another epic fight scene shows up. Uh, Mark Dacascus, like, thankfully wakes up just as soon as they're about to bust in it's, the door because he is triggered by danger. You yeah, know, like uh, all this uh, water and dancing on top of him, he's not going to wake up. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he hears that key card click, his eyes bust open, and he's ready for he's ready to fight. Yeah. So there's another great fight scene here, great fight choreography. Really well choreographed. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is the first to drive movie to feature a, a motel room violence. Right, exactly. I wonder if Nick Ruffin, he didn't see this film. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I was. I can't even make that joke. I'm like, yeah, I don't think he, no, no. Um, but he, uh, so yeah, so this is a great fight scene. So there are parallel fight scenes because down in the auto garage, uh, Malik hears the, the other guys coming. So he like hides with a wrench and starts fighting those guys off. Malik turns out to be a pretty adept fighter. Yeah, well, he's fighting, he's fighting for his life, man. Like, he's he, got to survive. He got uh, he grabs a chainsaw at one point. Oh, yeah, and cuts and the guy's he, arm off. He, he tries to, like, where is he, is going to have, like, a silencer on that chainsaw? He's gonna... Nah, he just, like, he sees the guy running down. He pull one pull of the ripcord, and the chainsaw is going, which is, I've never seen anyone, not even, like, proper lumberjacks, able to do that on the first pull. But, like, and cuts the guy's arm right off. All in one motion. Yeah. That's great. With no blood splatter. Yeah. And with the gun still in the guy's hand, which is great because then as the arm is flipping through the air, it's actually shooting the, his own, the guy oh, himself. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's another level of the old gag of like ripping a guy's arm off and beating him to death with it. Um, just, that old gag. Yeah, that old gag. Just great stuff. Um, and then from there, 
so up in the bedroom, um, Mark, uh, Toby and Deliverance, they're like uh, kind of in a different room. And Toby gives her a gun and says, go bring this down to Malik. And she's like, okay. But it takes her a second to go. It's like, he gives her the gun. And he's like, bring this down to Malik. And she's like, okay. And then she just stays there and he's like, like now? And she's like, oh, right. And she runs off. She's, the horniness has like gone straight to her brain. It is. Yeah. A, yeah she's, and then we realize it's not just her because other women are just instantly drawn to Malik. Instantly drawn to Malik, but she also is a fan of Toby. She even sings a, like, go Toby, go Toby oh, yeah, song yeah. for no reason. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's later on, yeah. Um, she's a fan of both of them. She is, she's just looking for some company. <laughs> In all the wrong places. And yeah, back to the garage, like... Um... Malik is trying to free the gun from this severed arm, but like rigor mortis is set in and and he can't get it off. Yeah. Um. So then, and just as he's about to die, to get the the bad guys are gonna get a drop on him. Deliverance shows up and shoots the machine gun at them, and he's just like, "Oh, good, give that to me." And then he goes to shoot at them, but it's out of bullets. And he and so and by that point, she's she's got the the, the, the machine other... gun, yeah, from the arm. And go ahead. And her aim is terrible. <laughs> yeah, she hits none of them. No. Uh, but luckily, at this point, Toby shows up. It's good cover fire, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at least provides a distraction. At this point, Toby shows up, starts kicking ass in the garage. There's, like, a, a mini explosion in the garage, and then they're running away, and that's when Vic decides, screw it, I'm just going to go get a rocket launcher. So he go gets... He gets well, a- yeah, there's that, that weird scene where there is a, a mini <laughs> explosion, and then, like... It's a weird kind of uh, fake romance scene where uh, oh, Deliverance yeah. falls into Malik's arms and they kind of look at each like other. Like it's down with the wind, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Toby, so they, they run out and Vic is just like, screw it. So he gets a triple rocket launcher, fires all three rockets at the at the motel, misses them, blows up the entire motel, kills what, whoever's left of his gang except for Tracy Walter. And they're fine. And they go and basically beat up Vic, steal his car, shoot the tire out in his car, and then also um, Toby reaches into Vic's vehicle and takes out a fourth rocket launcher, or another rocket launcher, a solo one. They drive away, but then Toby stops them so he can turn around and blow up their motorhome. And then they drive away. Vic's just terrible at being a criminal. Although, as he he explains to... uh, He keeps on having to call the the boss there. What's his name? Oh, uh, Mr... Mr. Lung or something? I want to say Mr. Lung, yeah. Or Mr. Lau? Maybe. Oh, maybe Mr. Lau. Uh, but uh, as he explains to, to Mr. Lau, he's like, we're assassins. We don't, like, taking people alive is not what we're good at. Yeah, so it is Mr. Lau, played by James uh, Shigata. He, oh, he played um, Nakatomi in Die Hard. That's where I... Right. Where, I was, right, it was right, bugging yeah. me, like, where do I know that face from? It's Yeah, he was Nakatomi from Die Hard. He, oh, no, Tagaki. Sorry, Tagaki and Nakatomi yeah. Towers. Yeah, yeah, he actually has had a long career stretching all the way back to 1959. Um, he acted in a film with Elvis. I'm just trying to see what Elvis movie that is. He was in, in a few episodes of The Outer Limits. What Elvis movie was he in? He was in... I guess not an Elvis movie? The Crimson Kimono? Eh, whatever. He was in the original film Midway from 1976. Um, and a bunch of other stuff, playing, playing various Asian characters. Um... So uh, from there, we're now driving along, and they go to a diner, and this is where another woman just starts eye screwing uh, Malik, and they can't get enough of him. Yep. Yeah. And so um, Deliverance has set it up so that her ex boyfriend will drop off a car 
I think a car for them to uh, to take to switch out with the vehicle. She actually has a, a great moment where she's sort oh, of yeah. like Walking coming back down. from the the washroom and, and dancing, just, and, and she shoves the other girl. The yeah, away. the girl that was eye screwing Malik like just shoves her right out of the, out of the frame. Literally, it's a great moment. And this is where they have to part ways with Deliverance because it's dangerous, and also she's insane. So they basically like say like, "Hey, you got to be safe. We got to do this." Da 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 da. Um, she's very well adjusted yeah. too for having all of her possessions and her motel. Her entire life destroyed. Destroyed. <laughs> yeah. She just wants to hang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're gonna go and get a, a another vehicle from. And she does make a fair point, like mm-hmm. when like they're like insisting that she can't tag along, and you know. Yeah. She's like, well, I've lost everything. Exactly. <laughs> just, just the least you can do is let me tag along. And they're still like, nah. No. Like, you're a little too crazy for us. Um, so they leave her at the diner, and she's okay with it. She sneaks a kiss with Malik, and she attempts to do it with Toby, but he's just like, no, no, on the cheek. Yeah, he gives her the cheek. Yeah. And that's it. So they're going to go meet up with her ex-boyfriend to get a, a car to drive to Los Angeles. Who we never end up meeting. No, at the uh, Apollo 14 diner. Now, I don't understand why it's called the Apollo 14 diner, because Apollo 11, that was the first one to land on the moon. Apollo 13, that was the one that went wrong. Apollo 17 was the last one to land on the moon, I think, or was it Apollo 16? 11, 12, 14, 15, 16. Because, yeah, it was 12 people that walked on the moon. 17. Maybe because Apollo 13 had just come out and they do reference Apollo 13. I guess so, yeah. Because it was 95 when they shot this movie, so the reference would have been fresh at the time. So it's the Apollo 14 diner, which is, like, a huge, purposefully built set, like... With all kinds of art direction, like I have no idea. Like that set alone should have cost. I think Phil, you said like three point two million dollars, which the entire movie was shot yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. It's nuts to me that that's that 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 they were able to do that. Oh, it's uh, it's on this drive to the diner, by the way, where Malik. I guess he'd seen the little video. Oh yeah. Of uh of Toby's girlfriend before, mm-hmm. and he's like, hey, so you're all into my business. How about uh, about talking about uh what you got going on? And the, it's here we find out that she's actually died that she was an anti-communist fighter yeah. he was he was originally hired to take her out to kill her but then, but then he, he convinced her she convinced she him. convinced him rather that uh, communism was evil and uh and then she later was killed at the hands of the communists yeah exactly um we should put take, let's take this time to talk about uh, the character who plays vic or the actor who plays vic that's john piper ferguson um he has had quite a bit of a like he's still acting to this day and he has 151 acting credits i'm not going to go through all of them he's done some stuff actually in toronto he was in the television show suits he was on the tv show lost a lot of tv stuff he was on csi he was on criminal minds he was on flashpoint another toronto show oh hey yeah he um he was on rookie blue yet another toronto uh, style show he was in score a hockey musical that Canadian oh God! Yeah, that the, nobody the like Gala yeah, premiere. that nobody nobody ever wants to talk about again. He was in the other drive. He was in 2011 drive. He's in both drives. He's in both drives. Oh, then Nicholas Nicholas Winding Refn probably has He's like a seen tip the of the old hat. Drive, I think um, he plays the character of bearded redneck. So I don't know what scene he's in. He was in the TV show Fringe, also shot in Vancouver. Um, uh, what else has he been in? He was in the show Alpha, is also shot in Toronto. The guy cannot get away from here. He's a very recognizable look, and that's probably why, because yeah. I've seen a lot of Canadian television. Mm-hmm. He was in the TV show Burn Notice for like a good, for like six episodes. He was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a few episodes. American Horror Story for an episode. Um, 
true uh, not i was almost say true detective no the detectives he was on the the tv show the last ship which i've meant to see but uh, never got around to um on the tv show which is coming out soon is completed called casa grande um which he was in a bunch of episodes of that and then the last most recent credit is hexageddon which is in pre-production uh and he is rumored to be playing the role of reverend tanner so that was Ooh, i hope that was John Piper Ferguson, who played Vic the Dirty Cowboy in this movie. Um, so they're hanging out at the Apollo 14 diner, and it's it's a cool spot. They get a couple beers. Iron Horse, as they as it was called. I, I really appreciated that uh, Malik actually said the brand name of the beer. It's Iron Moose, actually. Oh, Iron, Iron Moose, Moose, sorry. Because I, I always hate it in movies where they just go up to a bar and say, like, oh, can I just get a beer? And it's like, sure, here you go. Like, what kind? It's not beer brand beer. Could you imagine Except if you got, in- like... Except Enrico Man. If we, yeah, if Enrico Man, or if, like, they were just serving, like, no-frills, no-name beer. I know. I, I I was tempted to try the no-frills, no-name beer, but but I also have standards. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so from there, they're hanging out. Also, it's a karaoke bar, too. And... Yeah, there's some weird karaoke going on. Yeah, some guys, uh, like, singing a techno version of Yankee Doodle went to town. I'm a Yankee Doodle dandy. <laughs> weird, weird stuff. Um... It's also at this point that they meet some men from California who are actually from the company that is going to buy the heart from from Toby. And I like this how the plot just mm-hmm. spe- speeds up. It's like the writers were like, "All right, we gotta we gotta yeah. speed this, this movie, movie is up. almost two hours long already." <laughs> but the but they do explain it like, "How do you think we were, like we were able to find you? Like your little device has a tracking unit in it." We should also point out that back in Hong Kong, Mister Lau has been coming up with a contingency plan. He's been he's sending in the the upgraded version of Toby to come and bring Toby back to Hong Kong. Yeah, which also means they don't no mm-hmm. longer need Toby alive because they've uh, yeah. they've perfected this advanced model. Exactly. So we just kill him, get the device back, doesn't matter. Um. So the guys from uh, I think it's called Comtech. Is the yeah. Name well, of the company? Uh, Vic's been told uh, that uh, this uh, new guy's going to come. and He's going to take charge. Vic doesn't yeah. like this, but. But Vic decides, so we're just gonna, him and Tracy Walter are just going to go check it out anyways. So the Comtech guys, they are, um, they basically tell him, like, hey, here's a hundred grand up front as an advance. We're like, we're the legit guys. We'll actually turn off the, we can remotely turn off the tracking device in your heart. And let's all just have a couple beers and enjoy our night at the Apollo 14 diner. Which they do. Yeah. Toby sings a song about how Malik should get back together with his wife. And is we- like, we've been through gunfights. Mm-hmm. We've had some fights. And he's, he's completely ad libbing at this point. Yeah, but it's at this point when the doors open, then we see the upgraded version of Toby who comes in on a cool coat, wearing sunglasses. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Oh he my!" Looks like he's like his proto Matrix. Actually, he looks mm-hmm. like he's coming in. R. A. Mikhailov plays the singing trucker. In uh, he's the guy that sings the updated Yankee Doodle Line. Let's take a look at his background. <laughs> Why <laughs> he played? Wait, he played. Get this. In Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three, he played Leatherface. Oh, cool! That's I haven't cool. seen that one, but that's cool. He was also the tow truck driver in License to Drive, the two Corys movie. Oh, oh hey. I've seen that. that. Yeah, that brings back some memories. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to see if there's anything else interesting in his background. Uh, bu- 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 probably not. He was in Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Some movie called Adventure Sor- Adventures in Dinosaur City. Oh my god, this movie looks wild. Uh, I will not get into that, but I'm going to save that one. He was in an episode of Full House. Uh, he was in Trancers 3. Woo woo! The Trancers series, Pumpkinhead, Pumpkinhead 2. Pumpkinhead Death- 2. Blood Wings. Um, 
Drive, The Kid with the Exterior Eyes, The Vampire Hunters Club, Fallen Angels, Have Love, Will Travel. Um, anything else interesting coming up here? He was in Hatchet 2, Part 2, which, whatever. He played um, Chris Kringle in the short film My Name is Chris Kringle. He's, he's in this movie that we're describing for a minute. <laughs> Most of the minute. <laughs> um, he was in Krampus, The Devil Returns in 2016. He was in Slasher.com in 2017. He was in The Pod in 2017, Death House in 2017, Ride Hard, Live Free in 2020. And he is currently playing the role of Nasty in Kioma Risers, which is in pre-production. And Kioma Rises, it looks like it's actually going to be directed by Enzo G. Castellari and oh, wow. starring Franco Nero and Fred Williamson and Alex Cox, the director of Repo Man. Wow. See, this is why we go down the rabbit holes on like weird people singing in the background of so films. So Enzo G. Castellari is still alive. Oh, yeah. He's still kicking. Okay. He survived coronavirus. He actually had a cameo in Inglorious Bastards, but it was cut out oh, due to pacing. Um, so anyways, this, let's wrap this up. So, uh, the ultimate bad guy arrives whose name escapes me. <laughs> We're not doing a deep dive on him. No, no, no. We'll find him. We'll find well, him. Well, he's, he's the advanced model. And, uh, of course, um... Oh, advanced... Oh, well, his, his character's name is advanced model. That's played by, um, uh, Masayaya Kato. He comes in and he just stands there. And then his whole thing is... We, we forgot to describe mm-hmm. his gang showing up. But he walks and then his gang is all on dirt yeah. bikes. Mm-hmm. And they all come in through the windows in, like, unison. It's like they've been planning this for a week. Yeah. Uh, and they come in, and they just shoot the bar up, indiscriminately Everybody, killing yeah. every single person. And they're all um, wearing motocross helmets to disguise the fact that they're yes. the same stunt guys from the start of the movie. And they, they uh, eventually are uh, the, the C-Tech guys. They put up a decent fight, but they all get mowed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and only our two heroes manage to survive, um, mostly because um, Toby is so good at fighting. And he takes... Uh, he takes them out. He takes them out. Although they do a lot of stuff where they they're like putting mm-hmm. tables in front of the motorcycles, doing all kinds. Of, yeah, it's it's a lot of great action choreography. Really, really exciting stuff. Really fun stuff. Um, Malik holds his own, and then finally, sort of, yeah. and finally, and unfortunately, all the um, the the guys from the company that paid them off all die. And then at the end, it's just the advanced model, uh, Toby and Malik standing tall, and, and Toby's like, "Get out of here!" And Malik's like, "No, man, let's let's." Let's screw this guy. Let's kick his ass and take his coat. And, and his shades. He's got some and nice it, shades yeah. on. But that's the actual line that Malik says. Like, kick his ass and take his coat, which is pretty funny because he is wearing a pretty sweet coat. Um, and But they, they pair off. Malik goes uh, elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And, oh, look, Vic Madison uh, And Tracy Walter have shown up. And there's a whole big fight with them. So while Toby is getting which, his... Which gets very racist very quickly. Well, uh, <laughs> we should point out Vic greets Malik by saying... Hey, it's my favorite cheese-eating dick monkey. Another funny line we all chuckled at. Um, at one point, Vic pulls out a whip and starts whipping him. And saying, call, boy. Calls it's, him it's boy, a, yeah. yeah. it's a rough, uh, yeah, and a like, rough stretch. Yeah, but, um, and then finally when Malik, like, overpowers him, he's like, you never whip a black man. Like, that's just stupid. Well, you um, shouldn't whip anybody, no, really, but yes. Yeah, but yeah, the historical context <laughs> makes it real, real rough. So, uh, Malik... Pistol whips him. Yeah, pistol whips the shit out of him, like, fairly, but is a bigger man and decides to just leave him there writhing in pain so he can possibly learn from his racist mistakes. Yeah, I'm sure that's what he was Um, I was also thinking that I wouldn't be able to pistol whip a guy effectively. I'd probably screw it right up. Well, here's the thing. Action movies are lies. None of <laughs> none of what what works in an action movie, like the whole scene where they go with their guns, why would you do that? Your gun does that for you. You're just looking cool. <laughs> so... Um, 
But meanwhile, um, meanwhile, uh, there's an epic fight between Toby yeah, and the advanced model. A, they're having a big old fight, and mm-hmm. uh, at one point, the advanced weapon. Uh, he he keeps on getting the upper hand, and then he does he hits Toby in such a way that Toby is experiencing internal bleeding. Yeah, blood starts coming out of his mm-hmm. mouth, and that's that's not a good sign. Exactly. And then Toby fights back, and uh, the advanced model, who is being monitored from Hong Kong by Mister Lau, like he starts to have like issues, and his and blood starts coming from his yep. mouth as well. And the assistant there is like, it looks like his like uh, he's entering like the his body is entering like the uh, the is being exhausted. Like, what should we do? And he's like maximize the implant and they're like which one he's like all of them so like all of a sudden we have a super advanced model who's just like incredibly over the top kicking the crap out of everybody and or kicking the crap out of toby and this is when toby uh like has to like stand up and fight back and it's really intense and then eventually the implants start to break down inside of the, well, the advanced, advanced model. weapon he gets them by the neck yeah and he's like you could return with me to hong kong mm-hmm. if you want and it, it sounds like he's breaking his head yeah um, and then, yeah, everything starts firing yeah. wrong for him. Mm-hmm. And it's at this point that Toby grabs a motorcycle and then rams the advanced model into the wall. And at first, like, the advanced model looks fine, and then all of a sudden he just starts puking up, like, big hunks of blood and gore, and he is done. Deadzo. Yeah. And, you know, Toby and Malik well, are like, hey, let's get, let's hop on that old dusty trail and well, head down to Los see, Angeles. Uh, Mr. Lau, his employee, reports that, oh, looks like the advanced model is uh, no more. Yeah. Uh, and then he just, like, he, he scowls and then he opens a room and he's got, like, ten more Advanced robots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, in case there was a drive two or three, which I kind of wish there w- was. I mean, Mark Dacascus is still doing action films right now. Why Why not? Let's do drive still two. Do it. Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. I'm sure... Uh, it wouldn't be confusing at all. Put uh, Ryan Reynolds in there. Kadeem Hardison could use some work. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Mark Dacascus can break dance. Yeah. Oh, he can. Um, Mark Dacascus, of course, pairing in John Wick Chapter 3, which is like his most... I think we've mentioned that a bunch of times, but he is really... Uh, like, he was really good in that movie. I love seeing him. I was like, Mark Dacascus. Yeah, I, I sort of... He was zero. He was the like at yeah. the, uh, the epic fight with John Wick at the end. He was the guy having the epic fight with him. He was also in. Uh, I can't remember if we pointed if I pointed this out on the podcast yet. He was in The Crow: Stairway to Heaven, which was the TV series adaptation of the Crow movie, where he played the role of Eric Draven, which was originated by Brandon Lee. And, yeah, we, um, I mean, we were talking about this during the movie. I don't think yeah. it was during the podcast, mm-hmm. but yeah, I was saying he kind of vaguely resembles Brandon Lee. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's 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 like Hawaiian, so he and he's kind of like I think he's he's a bit of a Caucasian Asian mix, much like Brandon Lee was. Um, he also appeared in like. Uh, a bunch of B movies, like he was in I Am Omega. He was in. Let's see, I even wrote some down just to to get through them. I Am Omega being the Asylum. Uh, the unofficial, up. yeah, the unofficial adaptation of Richard what? Matheson's I Am Legend. Legend. Yeah, which wasn't that bad. I watched it. It wasn't good, but no. it wasn't that bad. I'm um, sure they borrowed uh, liberally from the Omega Man as well. No, not really. It okay. actually was like him alone out in the woods, so not not the same thing. Oh, I also very sadly learned that they uh, finally, or not finally, but um, they are tearing down. The Omega Man building on the Warner Brothers back lot. They've already moved the Friends stat, the uh, Friends Fountain, because the Friends Fountain was actually the fountain in the Omega Man. Um, and they're they're tearing down the whole Warner Brothers ranch set, which is not a, not a ranch, but it was actually the street that like that was the street that um, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation was filmed on. Um, it's the same, like it's a it's a it's a loop of like basically like a fake subdivision. There we go. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. suburb. There you go. Lots of famous things shot up, filmed on it, and they're fine. It's all because of the Discovery Plus guy taking over. No, this was scheduled to happen before, and I think it's been been extended. Like they're they're still saving it for now, but it was just like sad. Like I watched a, a last tour where they like walk through all these like, oh, that's the house from this movie. That's the house from that movie. That's the house from that movie. And it's just sad. And then they go like, oh, this is the Omega Man building, and like they've already removed the the Friends Fountain. Oh, they renamed it the Friends Fountain. Um, it still has the pool that was the pool that was used in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, uh, which actually is not in the backyard of the house. It's like a pool right in the middle of just like a green patch, and they just built up fake stuff around it. It was also a pool in something else that I can't remember. Sorry, that was a digression. Back to Drive. So the Toby and Malik are like, they're heading out of the bar. They're like yucking it up, and then behind them, Vic pops up. And he's got two uh, remote detonators. He's loaded with explosives. He's willing to die for the cause. Yeah. And so, you know, he's going to, like, push the button. And like, he, of course, does the whole, like, hey. And so they turn around. And they actually, like, stop him from pushing the buttons. Uh, and then they kick him down in unison. And then they, in unison, like, push the button to explode it. And then they realize, like, oh, shit. That's a bigger explosion than we expected. So they have to run out of the building. Well, first, uh, before they, they, they kick him down. Yeah. And then before they uh, hit the button, uh, Toby says, time to blow. (laughs) Which is the worst one. And then Kareem Hardison, split second later, goes, time to blow. Time to blow. Like, what? That's the the worst. There was earlier in the movie, we forgot to mention this, during the mechanic fight, uh, one of the bad guys gets gets, uh, Malik kind of dead to rights. And and he pauses like he's trying to think of something to say. And he's like, time's up, sissy. Yeah. And then that's when uh, Deliverance blows Shoots him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyways, the the entire Apollo 14 diner explodes in a huge explosion. The rocket that's attached to the building falls off. the third huge explosion in this movie. Yeah, there's lots of big explosions. Uh, for such a cheap movie, uh, Malik and Toby get the safety. And then they're like, all right, time to start hitching a ride to Los Angeles to get our money. And credits roll. And that was Drive. There's like a weird like a, a movie thing. Like they there's like... I forget they they they're having some banter and you're like well one of the credits is gonna roll here and it has some oh man I forget the line so you can just cut this out of the podcast but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it ends on a joke it ends on like, a joke yeah oh it would be a movie reference ha 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 and then they oh yeah and then they walk away oh see so, yeah right he says something he's like oh I saw the movie once he's like yeah you would have seen it in a movie ha <laughs> <laughs> just like that's supposed to be a callback for I don't know anyways credits roll and that was drive. All right, guys, we made it. So, Phil, what are your final thoughts on 1997's Drive? This is another blast of a movie. Yeah. And uh, I wrote Letterboxd review right before we started recording. Um, <laughs> when? Letterboxd. When? <laughs> it was a four sent. It was a four word review. Okay. Which I called uh, Brittany Murphy's greatest performance. It, it kind of was, to be yeah. honest. I'm not being hyperbolic. No, it's it's like you're yeah. just like you it's can't stop looking yeah. at her because yeah. she's just like all over the place. Yeah, cool. So, Brittany Murphy, that's your final thoughts. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you're not going to watch it for anything else, which you should, yeah, at least watch it for Brittany Murphy's unhinged performance. For sure. All right, Kit. What are your final thoughts on 1997's Drive? Oh, it was fun. Yeah, uh, I liked it. Um, I will say this director's cut, I think, is a bit long. Yeah, felt felt, uh, felt like this should be an hour and a half, and it was nearly two hours. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wish it was shorter. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, fun kind of very goofy movie. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. like cartoonish at times, which is fun, not man. That's, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, some really good fight choreography at times. 
I did think when that whole biker thing was going, it was a bit clunky, but I mean, you can't be perfect. Yeah. For my final thoughts, I think this is the closest we ever came to a real North American Hong Kong style action film. Um, like, I mean, the fight scenes were great. The choreography was great. And I gotta say, like, it just, it bums me out because Mark Dacascus is such a great on-screen presence. He, like, he does he, try, like, there's, he a, some there's, chunky dialogue, there's an Oscar moment where he's talking about his dead girlfriend, mm-hmm. and it's like, he's not delivering these lines. But how well. much better is that compared to, like, Schwarzenegger or Stallone, or even, or my god, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like, Jean-Claude oh, Van Damme's would have been like, she was a freedom fighter, and she showed me the error of my ways, and then she died one day before I left. Mark Dacascus doesn't have much dialogue in this movie. Yeah, but he's great. I actually, I've seen, but I, the thing is, I've seen him in roles where he, where he has lots of dialogue, and he's good. Like, that's the thing is like he's like I definitely think they weren't looking at performance too much in this film. I think it was all how do we like maximize our action stunt sets set, set pieces and get through our days because they only had six weeks to shoot it and no money. But I still I stand for Mark Dacascus. I I think he still could do it. He was really great in the terrible second season of the Mortal Kombat Legacy web series. He was the best part of it as playing uh, playing Kung Lao. Like he he was really good. He's he's got the moves. So, and he was yeah. fantastic in John Wick three. He, I even like when I was a kid. I rewatched that movie. When I, it's when I was like a blur those yeah. John Wick films. Maybe I watched them too close together. Yeah, 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 I like I watched them like years apart. But uh, and then I, I'll even say like I enjoyed him on The Crow Stairway to Heaven. Like I watched that show when I was a kid, um, and I enjoyed it. So I remember Boban Marjanovic and uh, John Wick three. He's the big oh big yeah, dude yeah. In the book, yeah. Book that was the opening scene. Yeah. Kills the guy with the book. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so this film uh, is definitely like a blast. It's it's a shame that it never got a real release in North America. Like I think it debuted on TV of all places, and it was Oof. and it was edited down, cut to shit. Like the producers probably like uh, airing on Fox on Friday night. They used to yeah, show they use like a, a they... seventy minute like edit of it or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a shame, but it is being rediscovered now. It is being adored. I dig it. I love it. I think it's a great film. It's probably one of the best action films of the '90s, if not the best. I, I, I just, I'm not what? Sure Name a better that. one. Name a better one. I've, off the top of my head, I'm not going to. You got me on the spot, but I'm like, uh, best action film of the '90s. Come on, I don't know. What other ones were there? Uh, Live Free or Die Hard. That was the 2000. You no, mean no, die, no, I'm, I'm thinking die Hard with, die hard with, with, with a Vengeance. Vengeance. That was great, but I mean, it wasn't as pulse pounding as this was. Wasn't it? I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Bad so, Boys, Bad Boys 2. There's a lot of Michael Bay films. They were style over substance. So what Kid is saying I mean, is we, that, we, yes, we, this we, is we, the best action film of the 90s. We've got Speed. Speed is good. Speed is good. Yeah. And Point Break. Point Break, 100%. Yeah. And renting out the decade, The Matrix. And The Fugitive, as I mentioned earlier on. Yeah, show. but I don't really think of that as an action film, though. You think of it more as a thriller? As an, an adventure film, adventure, back when okay. that was used to be a genre. Anyways, we're going on too long. Mission Impossible. Yeah, that was good. And you're looking them up, you're cheating. You can't, you're like, <laughs> it was definitely not the best one of the 90s. Name another one. Uh... Well, I mean, it's just like, that. <laughs> what, a, what a statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard-boiled? Okay, that was that was Hong Kong, though. Anyways, long story short, it's a great, great action film. Seek it out, see it. We're, it's DBV approved, right? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, okay. uh, we're all on board with that. I'm just like, Stop. it seems a bit hyperbolic. Stop trying to break the train here. All right, so for Death by Video, uh, what we're watching next week, I don't know. Hopefully hopefully this is going to come out uh, within just a couple days so that we keep our weekly, we're back on a weekly schedule. I have new editing software, and it's working so much better. So for Death by Video. I've been Phil. I've been Kit. And I've been Graham saying thank you so much for listening. Keep watching amazing movies. Good night. I